LA Talk Radio. This is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Sushi. Welcome back to another Max and Friends. If it's your first time joining us, where have you been? We have been here for 13 years, and now we are on all podcasting platforms. And I'm glad you're joining us. I really am. I'm grateful for you. And here's why. Because you've been with me through all these years. The common thread we all have. Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do I matter? Validation. And I see you. I hear you. You matter. And I love you. So welcome to Max and Friends. Tweet me at Max Tucci. Instagram me at Max Tucci. And remember the new Instagram at Max Tucci Radio. Forever, for whatever reason, you want to get this show again because today's a life class. You can go to latalkradio.com backslash Max. And of course, you can always go to wherever you listen to your favorite podcasting platform. So yes, different uh, environment here. I'm in Colorado. And in Boulder, my sacred space, my rock of my salvation. <laughs> I love my Boulder. You know, you all know by now I love my Boulder. And I was just in New York and then in Florida. So things are happening. Speaking of happening, there's an excitement to my cookbook. I'm so grateful that you all have been asking about the Delmonico Way. It comes out next fall. Rizzoli is publishing it. So there's a lot of wonderful energy spinning around this. And, you know, it can be the journey to to our passion sometimes um, can be diverted. But if it is our passion, if it's our mission, if it's our calling, then you know, no experience is ever wasted. And the road that we travel is one that where we are is exactly where we're meant to be, remembering that no experience is ever wasted. So we have a great show tonight. Sadvi is coming on in just a moment. The book, the book, the book, Hollywood to the Himalayas, my kind of reading, it's a good book. <laughs> it's a good book. And you're gonna hear why coming up with my guests in just a moment. Sadvi is joining us. You know, y'all know how much I love Reverend Dr. Iana Van Sant. Iana says, for so many of us, the road to the divine sometimes begins with deep trauma. And then grace is bestowed upon us and we blossom into the holiness of love. Hollywood to the Himalayas is filled with wisdom and truth about the powerful revelations that unfold on the path to a deeper relationship to the divine. This is a beautiful book, says Yana Van Sant. Y'all know Yana. So how am I? I'm well. And how are you? I want to know. So tweet me at Max Tucci, Instagram at Max Tucci, and let me know what your journey is. Have you ever been on a journey for healing or a journey for transformation? You know, they say change doesn't change until you change. I want to know about your change, about your transformation, about your healing. I want to know about you and what you're going on in your life. And I want to know what it is that made you surrender. How do you surrender? I surrender with like this because I open myself up to all that is. And I'm just grateful for this moment. So with that said, let's just take a moment to be present, to be still, to know that where we are right now is exactly where we are supposed to be, no matter what our circumstances were, are, or will be. We're here now. Take this moment. Welcome to Max and Friends. So the book, Hollywood to the Himalayas, A Journey of Healing and Transformation, Sadvi, 
Bhagawati Saraswati is going to join us in just a moment. You all know my relationship with Kashi Ashram in Florida and my beloved Majaya. So for me, I understand this process. I understand how someone can go from Hollywood to the Himalayas. <laughs> I understand it all. For you who are watching tonight or listening, you know, watching is our new platform here that I haven't done in 13 years. So thank you for being part of the watching. <laughs> the watching, you know, it's the hair, the makeup, the lighting. It all just is. I love sound, you know, ohm, sound. So, and I know you all love cameras. So here I am on video. But yes, I understand. I understand the journey that one desires. And I also understand the courage that one has to actually take that first step onto their journey. Have you taken your first step? Have you had trauma in your life, sexual abuse, whatever it is, hate, disregard, abandonment? Have you been left alone? Do you feel alone? Where are you in this now moment? And where are you on your journey? Not about the destination, it's about the journey. I guess tonight is going to fill us in about her journey, about her book, about her life, about how, how one goes from Hollywood to the Himalayas. So let's welcome Sadvi to Max and Friends. Welcome. Namaste. Oh, Max, such a joy to be with you. I'm so, so happy to be in this beautiful space with you and your community, this perfect moment, as you just said. This and perfect it's, moment. And it's even more perfect to be able to be here with you. It is. And you know, there's an expansion of perfection because together Absolutely. we rise, together yeah. we rise. And here we are in this now moment, helping others rise into who they are meant to be, into their journey, into their transformation and their healing. So Absolutely. many are hurting. So many are hurting, especially since the past last year. Hurt, mm. you know, we've been exposed to a hurt that is so deep. We've been exposed to fears that many of us never knew were in, rooted in us. And we're not just taking the Band-Aid off. We're getting into the scar, into the pain, into it to clean it, to make it pure so that our journey can be one of healing and transformation like yours. So Absolutely. It's the, it's the only way. The Band-Aid only works if beneath the Band-Aid healing is taking place. The point of a Band-Aid is not to just cover up the wound from your view. The point of the Band-Aid is to create a, a safe space in which the healing can take place. Mm. But we've forgotten that. We seem to think that the point of the Band-Aid is just stick something on it, ignore it for a little while, and eventually it'll go away. We forget that beneath the Band-Aid, healing is taking place. And if it didn't, you'd pull off the Band-Aid, and as you say, you would be right there with the wound that needed to be cleaned just as badly, if not worse, mm. as it did when you stuck the Band-Aid on. So absolutely, I love that. We need to get in there, see the wounds, clean the wounds, allow the wounds to heal. And only then can we actually embody and experience that which we are supposed to here on earth. Mm -hmm. And with the understanding that no experience is ever wasted, no experience. They brought us to this now moment. Your now moment is one of 
trials, tribulations, pain, sexual abuse, abandonment, hurt. And now here you are in a place of peace and love, forgiveness, forgiveness. So many ways to forgive, right? So many ways to forgive. Before we get deep into this life class, which is what I'm calling the show today, because this is a life class. So everybody who's tuning in right now, you're listening to Max and Friends, please, the book, Hollywood to the Himalayas, go right now, purchase the book so you can get deeper into this journey. And not only into this journey of, of an individual who is willing and open to sharing her journey, but possibly maybe giving you the inspiration to take your first step onto your journey. The book, Hollywood to the Himalayas, is available now. Buy it. I started reading it on the plane here, and we had to land, so I had to put it down, and I wish I had a 10-more-hour flight so I could have finished it. <laughs> but with that said, please, please prepare for a life class. Prepare for a life class, which means take notes. You've got to do your work. We can sit here all day long and talk to you about the journey, the healing, the transformation, but if you're not willing to do the work, and still sit back, enjoy, and listen to the show. But I want you to do your work. So tell us a little bit about your life because your name wasn't always Sadvi. You didn't always retreat in the mountains of either Boulder, Colorado, or India. You Hollywood girl, California girl, with a past that many of our listeners and watchers can identify with. So let's get into the genesis of not Sadvi, but of who you were born not to be. Hmm, Max, so beautiful. Such a beautiful pathway you have created for us to walk deeply now into. Yeah, I had a, a drama, a story, a plot of the first couple of decades of my life that, like so many of us, was filled with challenge. Mine included deep trauma. It included sexual abuse. It included abandonment. But regardless of what your challenge included, regardless of the particular ingredients of your struggle, that isn't what's relevant. What's mm. relevant is that, and this is why after living in India for 25 years, I finally brought this out because I realized it was critically important for people to understand that I knew pain, that it was so easy for people to look at me and think that I somehow was this just angelic, untouched virgin who sort of descended from Stanford University onto the banks of Ganga and became this spiritual seeker, spiritual leader, spiritual being. And not only was that story completely false, but it actually deprives people mm -hmm. of being touched and inspired in a way that inspires them to walk the path. Because as long as they can think that I'm somehow cut from a different cloth. Untouchable. Untouchable, untouchable, untouched. Mm. Don't know pain, having had this kind of Brady Bunch perfect life. Then it gives them this really easy 
way out of stepping up to the plate of their own lives because they can always say, well, you know, easy for her, she hasn't suffered. Easy for her, she doesn't know this pain. Easy for her, she had everything handed to her, you know, with a silver spoon. And I realized it's high time that people understand that I know pain and that that's, that's why I have to now, 25 years after being in India, actually go back and tell a story about the first 25 years of my life and then how that intersected with India so that no one can ever say, well, you know, easy for her to do, she doesn't know pain. Or easy mm. for her to do, she never struggled. So, so I'm sorry, let, go on. Let's go into pain. Yes. What does pain mean to you? Mm. So pain is actually a, a neurologic response to something awry in the system, whether on a physical level, literally you trip and fall and hurt your knee, you burn your hand on a stove, it's very, very quick sensory neurons that are immediately interacting with motor neurons to pull that hand off the stove, to grab the arm that's gotten hurt. We now know, interestingly, that the brain processes a broken heart very similarly to the way that it processes a broken limb. That that which 25 years ago when I was studying neurology and psychology, we thought was only relegated to the body, to the physical body. Mm. We, now, we now know that actually a broken heart gets processed very much like a broken limb. But what you have then is suffering. So mm -hmm. I distinguish them. Um, if, you know, if we're just talking like this, I may use them interchangeably, but when you call me out on it, I'll tell you there's, there's a difference. The pain is the instinctive response in the brain to something that is quite literally pain and whether we wince from it, whether we grab it, whether our eyes fill with tears, whether it causes a rush of adrenaline in the system, whatever it may be, it's that immediate involuntary cascade of reactions in the body. Suffering is the emotional component to the pain. So on a very superficial level, you could say, running to catch the bus, I trip and fall, I hurt my knee, that is pain. My brain then kicks in as I miss the bus and says, oh, for God's sakes, it always happens to me. This is so, <sighs> you know, all these other people caught the bus. I'm the one who tripped right. and fell. That has nothing to do it triggers patterns and pathologies, right? Exactly. It triggers exactly. the trauma of being told one is a loser, or one can't succeed, or one is a failure. So it triggers all of those patterns and pathologies. Exactly. For exactly. you, going back to your journey, 
to yes. your genesis. Yes. Let's get into some of your story that was then so that the narrative, people can understand who you are now and why it's not the same sure. as it was then. So bring us into your, into your childhood. Bring us into where that inner child, that little girl was growing up in Hollywood. Yes. And knew something wasn't right. Absolutely, Max. So in very early childhood, first of all, I was raised in a family that from the outside, everything looked perfect. It was lots of opportunity, lots of privilege, a very good home with access to everything, availability of everything on a financial level, on an educational level. But in early childhood, very early childhood, I was sexually abused by my biological father, who then got divorced from my mother when I was still quite young. I continued to visit him for a few years. The abuse continued. And when I was eight, he called and told me that he never wanted to see me again. Now, it's so interesting, and I can mention this because you are so, so clearly a lover of depth, depth of the spirit, depth of the psyche. And it was so interesting because one would think that my reaction would be, thank God. Like, here's this man who was abusing me horribly. In the interim, my mother has married this other man who is amazingly wonderful, this just beautiful man who entered our lives. One would think that when my biological father called and said, I never want to see you again, that I would say, great, wonderful. And yet the psyche is so interesting. The psyche, as you say, of that little girl, that child, even when we are being abused and harmed, nonetheless, there is that, that attachment, that yearning for love, even from one who so clearly is able only to give harm. So when he said that, it was obviously very traumatic. I spent the next 10 years trying to get his attention. Letters, cards, photographs, there was never a reply. I got absolutely nothing back, no acknowledgement of any, any birthday, any holiday, any milestone, nothing at all. So I grew up a, of course, going from boyfriend to boyfriend, because of course mm -hmm. that would be that would be the pattern, and ensuring that I was never alone, that there was never a moment in which I could feel abandoned. But also I grew up hating myself, feeling like, although I couldn't articulate it at the time, that there was something wrong with me. And I developed very severe bulimia in my adolescence. I was in and out of eating disorder units as well as regular hospitals with tubes and IVs and whatnot in me. And that continued into my undergraduate years at Stanford University. And 
eventually, eventually with a lot of therapy, a lot of work with marrying a wonderful man who was very, very compassionate, very smart and very able to help. I, I got to a place where I was managing. I was managing the pain, managing the suffering, managing the eating disorder, managing my life. I was excelling in school. I was now in the midst of a PhD program. I was getting straight A's, taking 21 units a quarter. I was managing my marriage. And I really thought that was the highest goal. I mean, everyone I knew was managing their lives on some level. And no one ever said to me, hey, you know, there's actually something more. Managing your life is not the highest goal. It's an important first step, and it's certainly better than not managing your life. But actually, you can be free. Actually, rather than managing this identity as the victim, as the survivor, as the one who was abused and abandoned, you can actually be free of that. There is a whole other self that was untouched, that is untouchable, quite literally. There is a, a divine connection. So in any case, I didn't know that. And I thought managing was as, as good as it gets. And at 25, my husband wanted to go to India. We were avid travelers. I had traveled a lot in Europe. We had spent a year in South America in between my undergrad and my graduate program. And he wanted to go to India. And I knew nothing about India. I wasn't interested at all on any conscious level. I wasn't seeking at all on any conscious level because in my mind, there was nothing to seek for. I didn't know there was another alternative. Getting through a meal was for me kind of the, the great achievement of the day, the idea of awakening or enlightenment or bliss, or it, it was not part of my worldview. Mm -hmm. Also, I also was a scientist. I was an academic. And so- Let me stop you right there. When you say I was, meaning the past. Yes. Have you shed yourself from being a scientist? <laughs> oh, no, actually, it's such a great question because I actually love science and I weave, I weave neurology and science into so much of what I share. But I should say, I should say I was, I should say I, rather than I was a scientist, I should say I subscribed pretty exclusively to a scientific worldview, meaning- Which means? Which means. <laughs> yes, meaning, meaning- An attachment from spirit. <laughs> attachment from spirit and a pretty much a, a lack of acknowledgement of anything which cannot be seen with a microscope, seen with a telescope, measured in a beaker, cooked on a Bunsen burner, mapped by its electrical and chemical- the evidence, properties. the exactly. evidence. Exactly, exactly. So when there's the evidence, which is so apparent in science, which is why I also love science, but then there's the duality of it, which is faith, which is not seeing the evidence, but believing in the evidence. When did that shift from science to faith 
You know, you know, people people talk about being touched by God. Right. And I always say, God certainly may have touched me, but I I never noticed it. And so God had to literally hit me over the head with a baseball bat in order to get my attention. And so when we came to India with backpacks, I took a semester off of my PhD program and traveled to India with a backpack, arrive in Rishikesh, which was the very first city we went to. It was a city we traveled to because I had opened a 500 page Lonely Planet guidebook in Delhi and said Rishikesh. I didn't know that the Ganga River was sacred. I didn't know the Himalayas were sacred, but I was a mountain person. I loved the mountains, even in my non-spiritual years. I I would have told you if I if I articulated like this, which I didn't, but if you could have somehow drilled into my psyche, I felt like God only existed in the mountains. I had no experience of the divine anywhere other than lying in the dirt beneath redwood trees and watching the sun, you know, reflect and refract through the branches. Oh, yeah. So, so when I saw Rishikesh and mountains and forests and river, I said, let's go there. Let's go there. Let's go. Indeed, let's go there. You know, I love to say for myself that religion made me an atheist, but nature made me whole. Oh, <laughs> right? exactly, exactly. And so, so I'm so on the page with you with, with that essence of, you know, God touching one. When we answered the question a couple of shows back on what is God? Mm. And Ravi, who an, an author who came on the show, said, God is the universe. The universe is God. And then Ash Ruiz is on the show. And I said, Ash, exp expand that a little more for those who don't understand the universe. And he goes, God is this moment. This moment is God. Yes. And so when that revelation kicks in that this moment is God, that's the baseball bat. So Absolutely. So I'm standing on the banks of the Ganga River, what we call the Ganges River here in, right. in English. And I had gone down just because I was hot, I was tired, I wanted to put my feet in the river. And suddenly, in that moment, unanticipated, I had this experience like a veil mm. was pulled off my eyes, but not just off my eyes, off of every way of knowing that I had in my being. And suddenly, this moment, me, the universe, were God, were divine, were infinite, were perfect, and were not separate. It was an immediate experience of the absolute divinity, perfection, wholeness, exquisiteness of everything in which I was not just part, but I was the whole. It was me. And 
I just, I burst into tears. How did you know it was you? Oh, it was not semantic or intellectual at all. It was a felt sense. It was my heart burst open. It's like saying you're standing in a river. How do you know you're wet? You'd have a hard time explaining that to me. I mean, you could you could come up with some words, you know, but you just, you know. It's like saying, how do you know mm. you love the person you love? You just, you know, it's you know. You may not You may not be able to explain it. You may not understand it. It may defy everything you've ever thought, but nonetheless, you know it. And, know that, it. and that knowing is more real than anything you've ever thought or known. It's so but true. I'm going to pause you real quick because what I love, and I know that I love, is music. And there's a song mm -hmm. about, you know, lead me to the water. Ah. Yesterday, I heard someone say the word spiritual. Take me closer to that man and why he understands. Does he know the conflict in my soul? We're going to play it right here, right now on Max and Friends. Lead me to the water by one of my best friends in the entire universe, Sharon Agat. Right now, be still and know that where you are is where you're supposed to be. Be guided to the river and we'll be right back. Every day I wake alone, knowing in my bones, this ain't my home, no, no. Every leaf that leaves a tree, hypnotically, reminds me so. I tell you I, I need a second chance. Teach me to learn, I'm afraid to learn. I can dance, but I can't turn. Oh, tell me, will you lead me to the water? Got to heal my soul in the water. Will you lead me to the water? Stops the dream of peace begins. Every little means is sold as an end. But tell me, where does the meaning begin? Yesterday I heard somebody say the word spiritual. Take me closer to that man and what he understands. Does he know the conflict in my
LA Talk Radio and all podcasting platforms. This is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. My guest who's joining us today is the author of Hollywood to the Himalayas, Sarvi Bhagavati Saraswati is joining me. Namaste, my friend. We're back. We're back. We're back. Sharon Agati, thank you for that beautiful song, Lead Me to the Water. What a beautiful, beautiful song. Beautiful song. Thank you so much for sharing that and introducing me. Do you know Sharanagati means it means surrender. It's a Sanskrit Mm -hmm. word meaning surrender. Yeah. Sharon Gatow is her is her name and then her you know her her name of choice is Sanagati. So I want to talk about the book. We're talking about the river, that moment that you find or what finds you. What finds you. But there's a chapter I want to talk about, which is chapter 36 in the book. And chapter 36 is about it's only the body, not the soul. Mm. Only the body, not the soul. Chapter 36 in numerology goes down to number nine. (laughs) So those who are listening, you know what that means, if you know what it means, and if you don't, Google it. But on that note, it's only the body not the soul. Chapter 36, tell us about that. Mm, sure. So we've we've fast forwarded. Mm-hmm. If it's okay, I'll take just a minute and kind of put some big rocks across that river that we've just crossed for the listeners. About 20 something right. chapters, right? <laughs> but, but rather than rather than little pebbles along the river, right. 
couple boulders, of boulders, boulders for people to just jump across. And a bridge or two. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, so I had this experience standing on the banks of the sacred Ganga River. That was September 1996. I was 25 and in India with a backpack with my husband on a an adventure in which I had this unexpected, extraordinary, spiritual, awakening, transformation experience. And that through a series of other incredible moments of grace, including hearing voices, including having my feet. There. Yes. Hearing voices. Yes. And we'll get to body and soul. But hearing voices, you know, there's an illusion of time. So I know I've got to be conscious of jumping forward. <laughs> that's but, okay. So, you know, the first time you're a friend, second time you're family. So that's an invitation to have you back because I know that this conversation is going to have to be extended. So <laughs> we'll okay. definitely extend the conversation so we don't have to, you know, fast forward it so much. If you're more than gracious enough to join me again on Max and Friends, I would appreciate it. That way we can we can we don't have to put those boulders in the river. We can put the little rocks and and go on the journey that you went on because I know so many people are either starting their journey or going through their journey and this right now is just such a moment of revelation. It's a moment of inspiration, a moment of motivation. It's a moment where someone is listening and saying, "I'm going to take that first step." So I don't want to rush the story. Um, so let's, we can back up, we can okay. back up, <laughs> we'll back up to, to the river. So I had this extraordinary experience. I knew I was meant to stay there and over the next seven to 10 days, I had this series of experiences, which included hearing a voice telling me. What did that mean? And what did you hear? Because people often say, I hear a voice. Oh, no, I and literally, I literally. You heard a voice. Voice. It was. Audible. Audible. It made me go like this to see who had spoken. And the voice said, you must stay here. And aside from the extraordinariness of hearing voices, especially for someone in whose entire worldview, the only people who heard voices were schizophrenics other than Jane, Joan of Arc. Uh, and we know what happened that. to her. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> so, um, aside from that, for me, the reason that the telling of that story and the story of getting my feet quite literally stuck to the floor of the ashram, the reason that those and other stories of those initial couple weeks are so powerful is I never had trusted myself. Mm. I never had had a sense of an inner knowing. I didn't trust did know, But you did know not to give up. I did. I did. I because was when you went to ashram, it wasn't, you know, there weren't rose petals and marigolds on the floor welcoming you, so to say. Absolutely. But that was after I had this experience on the banks mm -hmm. of Ganga. Prior to coming to India, I I was certainly tenacious. I was certainly resilient. I certainly was energetic and committed, but on a very deep level. I didn't trust myself. 
I didn't trust myself to know, which was why, for example, I went from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend to husband because there needed to be someone lest I should be alone, not knowing, afraid. So I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust the universe. I didn't trust my place in the universe. And all of these things that happened became large boulders in my path, not boulders that were obstacles, but boulders that helped me walk along that stepping stones, exactly. But large ones that really got me, propelled me along, you could say, very, very quickly to a place of listening to an inner voice and trusting an inner voice and trusting an inner knowing, trusting God. And so about a week after having that first experience on the banks of the river, after I had finally met the the leader who would become my guru, the leader who was the head of this ashram where I wanted to stay, where I had heard the voice saying, you must stay here. After meeting him, and he said that I was welcome to stay, I wanted my husband to stay as well. He didn't want to stay. He wanted to go up off to the mountains. And the me from 10 days earlier would have gone with him. It was inconceivable that I would not have gone with him, inconceivable that I would have allowed a situation to arise in which I was alone in a place that I didn't know, with people I didn't know, a language I didn't speak. There were no mobile phones, of course, at that time, or at least we didn't have any. And yet, in that short period of time, getting in touch with that inner knowing, with that connection to the divine, with that trust in the universe, that sharanagati, that surrender to the the universe, to the perfection of this moment, created a situation where I said, okay, if you need to go, you go. I need to stay, I'm staying. But what gave you the courage? Because how many women who are listening now to the show were saying to their husband, you go, I'll stay. What gave you the courage to do that? Having found over the week, week and a half prior to that, a connection between this being that was what I always had identified as me and the absolute, full, whole, complete, divine, infinite perfection in the universe. I, it was like this border, this boundary of what I thought was self dissolved. And I realized I am one. I am one with that intelligence through which mm. caterpillars become butterflies, through which seeds know how to sprout and become trees and then give apples. The transformation. The transformation, the knowing and the perfection, that that intelligence in the universe that I always thought had kind of pervaded everything but me, 
suddenly I realized that not only did it pervade me as well, but that I was part of it. And that I there, am. yes, there, I am of the I am. I am of the I am. Exactly. I am of the I am. We have to wrap this up because the illusion of time is before us. I didn't know that you and I could sit here for about 10 more days and have conversation wow. and have conversation. That was really fast. I, that know, was an illusion of time. It's absolute illusion of time. But yet where we are right now is exactly where we're supposed to be. Do we're we gonna, have, I'm we sorry? Have, do we have? I was going to say, do we have a minute for me to, to share what I think is so important for people whose life journey may not necessarily take them physically to India. Absolutely. And this is how we're going to do it. We'll wrap the show and then I'll ask you to have, we'll have people take that wisdom with them into the next moment. Fantastic. With that said, my guest, the author, Hollywood to the Himalayas. The wonderful Sadvi Bhagavati Saraswati joined me here on Max and Friends by the book. You'll join me again. We'll figure out scheduling, but hopefully we can get you back before next uh, next show, and then we can carry the conversation. What I would like to leave our listeners with is the following. I love you. I see you. I hear you. You matter. You matter, and you're not alone. With that said... Sadvi, what do you want our listeners to take into this next moment? So the journey that I took of Hollywood to the Himalayas, which as Max has so effusively and lovingly shared and urged everyone to get, is it's an adventure, it's a spiritual adventure and you'll laugh and you'll cry and it's fascinating and it's fun and it's exciting. And it may not be the physical arc that your life is meant to take. And that's not only okay, that's wonderful. God loves diversity. And so whatever physical arc or journey your life is meant to take, you should know that the journey in the way of thinking from the Hollywood way of thinking, meaning metaphorically, that you are this body, that you are your role, your history, your story, your identity, your pain, your addictions, that you are that, that you are the color of your skin or your race or your religion, into the Himalayan way of thinking, which says you have a body. It has a color, a size, a shape. It has a story, a plot, a drama as your karmic story unfolds. But it isn't you. Mm. That journey is something that every single one of you can take. And that's why I wrote the book was not just to share the exciting, fun, spiritual adventure, but for all of you to know that that which I have found, the freedom that I have found through this process, through these 25 years on the banks of Ganga, is something that you can find wherever you are mm -hmm. by shifting how you think. So I want you all to know that, that it's not just about 
my story, but it's about your story. And thank you so much, Max. And I love, I love the, I love you and I see you and I hear you. And I would say, I am you. You know, when we, when we do namaste, it literally means that divine presence, that presence of the divine within me bows to the presence of the divine within you. And of course, since the divine is infinite, not cut up into different boxes with sizes and shapes, it quite literally means I bow to me in you or you in me bows to you in you. Mm. I love that. It reminds me of the word intimacy. Mm. Into me see. Ah. So beautiful. So on that note, this week and this moment that goes on, when I say intimacy, into me see, look into others this week. Look into who they are. Look into their journey. Be inquisitive. Ask questions. And always, always give love. On that note, Sadi, I look forward to having you back on Max and Friends. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about challenges. We're going to talk about sacrifice, peace, and love. Until next time, I love you for joining me here on Max and Friends, and I look forward to having you back. Mm. And I love you so much, too. And thank you so much for sharing Hollywood to the Himalayas with your, your beautiful, beautiful family. With my tribe. Part one. We'll have a part two of the show for sure. I love you. Thank you all for listening. Take life to the max. Until next time, good night and good karma. Adios,